Are you always questioning if you're a good enough mom? Are you burning the candle at both ends feeling desperate to find ways to take better care of your family? Welcome to the Busy Farm Mom. I'm your host, Amanda. We will be navigating motherhood, discussing nourishing food choices, holistic wellness, and of course, agriculture. We can gather around as friends in this space while being in our most chaotic stages of life. Whether you're chasing your toddler, preparing endless amounts of meals for your family, driving to work, or running the grain cart, this space is an opportunity to grow and learn simple tips to tackle the doubt that creeps in of, am I a good enough mom? Kick that thought out of your mind and come join our judgment-free zone where we will never question that you're doing a great job, mama. Let's get started. Hello. Today we are going to dive into a kind of a very deep topic in motherhood. I have the honors of interviewing Caitlin Cox. She hosts her own podcast, Emerging as Me. If you haven't heard that yet, you really, really need to go take a listen. It is a fantastic podcast, and I have thoroughly enjoyed listening through all the episodes that she's had so far. She so graciously agreed to come on here and share her journey about loss and motherhood. I listened to her own episode on her podcast, and I I knew that it was a topic that I wanted to talk about on my own podcast and have someone come on and share their story and their journey with others when others may need that. So thank you so much, Caitlin. Thank you for having me. I feel so honored to be here for, for this episode. Yes. So can you just start by kind of telling us a little bit about yourself and all of that? Okay. So I live in South Carolina. We are about five minutes from the North Carolina border. So my whole life, even today, I usually hit three counties and two states every day of my life because that's just where we are. (laughs) I'm a wife of nine years, been married to my husband for nine years. We have two boys three and one years old. We farm corn, wheat, soybeans, oats, and we are also poultry producers. I am also a hairstylist of 12 years, and I have been an educator. I taught a couple of years at our local community college for cosmetology, and last spring, I decided to leave that position And I went back to work as a stylist part-time. And I, in doing that, or one of the reasons that I did do that is I realized I had other priorities and dreams and that they were worth chasing and pursuing. So here I am now. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like a fantastic journey of digging deep into knowing what you want to do. (laughs) There was a lot of reflection and there's a lot of that going on last year. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I think all of us need that at times. (laughs) Yeah. So I am not going to hold up on kind of getting into this topic any longer. I want as much time as, as you need and want to talk just about your whole journey and everything with with your loss and motherhood. So I'm going to turn that over and you can talk about that all you want. Okay. So I guess I will start when we got married, my husband, Ace and I, we immediately, you know, we're trying or it was just like kind of if we get pregnant, we get pregnant. Like we were embracing it, ready for it. So we got married in 2014 and 
Nothing happened until 2016, and his father, my father-in-law, passed away January of 2016, and then I got pregnant later that spring, but I had a early miscarriage. I think I was about six or seven weeks along the doctor's office or the OB that I went to then. I um, went in after and, you know, I was like, something's not right. I'm not having regular cycles. I don't think I'm ovulating. I just, I don't feel like something's right. And I told her, like, my symptoms that I've looked up, you know, because we all, you know, WebMD and Google everything. I was like, I think I have PCOS. I feel like I have a lot of these symptoms. And I feel like they just kind of blowed me off. And they did blood work. And then I had an ultrasound done to see if, you know, I had and did have the, like, follicles, you know, like with PCOS, the little cysts on my follicles. Well, I went back for the follow-up, and I was sitting in the doctor's office waiting on them to come in. She comes in and looks at me and goes, well, what are you here for today? And I'm like, I'm here for my test results. Like, I'm, you know, and then she walks out for a few minutes and then comes back in, and she tells me, we're going to have to, you you would have to have at least two more miscarriages before we can do any further investigation or testing or find out anything else. And I'm like, well, what about, you know, my blood work and my, and she, it's like, I never really got answers about the tests that I did have done. And I, you know, I had paid $400, you know, with the testing and because insurance sucks, you know, <laughs> but I mean, I just did not feel like they took what was happening, what I was telling them seriously. So at that point, I decided to leave that doctor's office and I found another doctor in Florence, which is about 45 minutes away, whereas this doctor's office was 20 minutes, like in the rural town right here at us. So I had a couple of friends who went to this doctor in Florence and I reached out and it took me six months to get in as a new patient. Like I had to wait that long to get in with her. So I waited it out and then she did more blood work, more tests, the ultrasound, went back for my follow-up and she said, yes, you do have polycystic ovarian syndrome. You have all the symptoms, all the signs, the blood work and the ultrasound confirmed it. So I was like, so relieved. Finally, somebody believes me. Somebody's doing something about it. And so she put me on metformin, which is really for diabetes or type 2 diabetes, I think. And what it is with PCOS, your body has a insulin resistance. So and that can mess with like your hormones. So I really feel that played a huge role in the miscarriage that I had in early 2016 because everything was just kind of haywire with my hormones. My body wasn't functioning right. So I think that's really why I had that miscarriage. She put me on metformin and within three months, I found out I was pregnant in January of 2018. So we found out we were pregnant and then we did the blood test to see, you know, if it was a boy or a girl because we could not wait. I think you could find out at like 12 weeks, the six. So we found out we were having a little girl 
and decided her name would be Evelyn Lee. Those are both old family names. So we were really excited because I'm an only child. My husband's an only child. And this would have been the first grandchild. So we were just really, really, really excited. And we had been trying since 2014. And at this point, it was 2018. So we had lots of showers that summer. Um, got the nursery painted. My best friend helped me paint the nursery. Decorated everything. Because your first baby, you go all out. You just do not yes. care. You, you go all out. You get all the things that you don't really need just because it's your first baby. And so that year, 2018, her due date was October the 9th. In September of 2018, we had a really bad hurricane. The hurricane was actually named Florence. So Hurricane Florence came through, I think it was like mid-September, mid sorry. And it dumped a bunch of rain. I mean, like 14, 15 inches of rain. So we are kind of considered like the PD region or the low country close region, you know, in South Carolina and southeastern North Carolina. We have a lot of rivers, a lot of swamps, and we had a lot of flooding. So the roads were, I mean, impassable. And it wasn't right immediately after the hurricane. There was some flash flooding, but in the week to two weeks after when the rivers rose from all the water coming downstream, is when we had a lot of major flooding still. So roads were washed out. It was, some people were without power and electricity for, I mean, a week, week and a half, two weeks even. And just a lot of roads washed out, a lot of damage to infrastructure. So that first week, I could not get to Florence to my doctor's appointment. And I think I was, that was my 37-week appointment. I was not able to go to. And I I called them, you know, of course, and they said, well, it's okay. You just, just come on Monday the next week. So that was 38 weeks. And the weekend, over the weekend, I could feel Evie, or we called her Evie was what we were going to call it for short for Evelyn. So I could feel my stomach like, contracting. So, along with PCOS and all the other things that I have going on, I also have a bicoordinate uterus. So, that is like when your uterus is not pear-shaped like it's supposed to be. It kind of dips in the middle. It's more heart-shaped. Well, mine is like heart-shaped, but like the right side is higher. So, all my babies that I've carried have always sat like in that right side and so she was kind of, you know, I thought she was poking her little butt out and like moving back and forth. Well, it wasn't her kicking or her moving. It was my uterus contracting that was making, that's what I thought the movement was. And I, I remember feeling like Saturday night kind of like, oh, I just, you know, run down, tired. I don't know. I, I look back now and I wonder if. That was my body, like, trying to tell me something wasn't right, but I kind of put it off on, you know, I'm 38 weeks pregnant. I went through the summer in South Carolina, and, I mean, I'm just hot. I'm tired. We just had a hurricane. You know, I kind of put it off on all of that. Well, I went to the doctor's appointment on that Monday, 38 weeks, and I went by myself. 
and went in and they were just going to do, you know, the Doppler to find the heartbeat and measurements, that kind of thing. And so they could not find the heartbeat with the Doppler, the handheld Doppler. And so they went and swapped out the Dopplers. The other one didn't work. And the doctor that was seeing me, she said, well, let's, let's go to ultrasound. So I had to put on my, I put my clothes back on and walked around to where the ultrasound room was and went in and they confirmed it there. Like I remember when I put my clothes back on and I was kind of like walking there. I was like, don't freak out. Don't freak out. It's going to be okay. Just don't, you know, but of course it was in my mind. Like, what if, you know, you're kind of just holding your breath and walked around, got in there and they confirmed that, you know, the baby, she didn't tell me straight out. She like got up and went into the hall and got my other doctor, which was, she was the one who had switched over. Cause you know, OB, they swap here and you see everyone in the office, but she got like my doctor and they took me into her office. And I knew by the ultrasound tech not telling me anything that it was, you know, but it was just like, I, I, I couldn't speak. I couldn't ask. I just, I just couldn't, I think I was in shock. So we got to her office and they, they were so good to me there. Um, the doctor like got her cell phone out and called my husband. And when he answered the phone, he automatically thought like, oh, is it time? And I mean, is it time? Are you, are you having her? Like, I need to get up there. And I had to just like stop him from like his excitement of talking and like, you know, rushing and say, no, Ace, like you need to come. But it's like, we couldn't find a heartbeat. Like we could not. And he just was kind of stunned himself and he I mean he was 45 minutes away and in the middle of you know working with so it took him probably about an hour and a half to get there by the time he you know got away was able to pull out of what he was doing and and make his way to town and they took me from the office so luckily my doctor's office is connected to like the women's center in the hospital so they took me through the back part. I didn't have to go out into the waiting room or anything. I and took me straight to labor and delivery. And they did do another ultrasound because I, I could swear I, I thought she was moving. And and then what it was, it was those my uterus contracting like I had been feeling the weekend. And mm-hmm. I just remember feeling like, I, I don't know, it was just like shock and grief and just a wave of just I couldn't believe it and sadness and just kind of like what am I like it's it's so hard to explain you're just paralyzed by just loss and don't know what to do I cried and cried and when my doctor came in and like I said they were so good to me and she was talking with me and I was I said well what do we what are we what do we do I mean, what am I supposed to do? And um, she said, well, you can choose to go home if you want and wait for, you know, labor to start naturally, or we can induce you and, you know, go about it that way. Or you can like go home and then come back and we can induce, you know, and I, at that point, I had my appointment was that morning, Monday morning. It was a little after lunch, I guess. And I, I myself, my choice was to stay and to be induced because in my head, I did not want to go home 
knowing that, you know, my baby that I was still carrying was, was gone. And I didn't want to go home and walk in my house and see all the, the baby things and the nursery and the, I mean, the Sunday night before we had just hung up curtains in her room. So it just, I couldn't personally go home and face all of that. And I just couldn't handle it. So I chose to be induced. So of course, when they induce you, you take like an oral pill, oral medication. We started at 6 p.m. that Monday. I took that first medication that kind of started things. And I really progressed slowly. So I by Wednesday night, or I guess, yeah, Wednesday night, I had only um, gotten to like five centimeters. And I did, I think it was, I can't remember if it was Tuesday or Wednesday morning. I did end up doing an epidural, but by the time, you know, I was at five centimeters, it was late Wednesday night. I could feel like all the contractions. I just could not move my legs. And I remember holding the the little switch they give you, you know, where you can mash the medicine for an epidural. And I would just sit there and wait and wait on it to light up every 10 minutes and mash it. And look, like I said, again, bragging on the women's center there, they put me on a hall that was kind of away from other mothers and people having babies. And they, the room beside me, they kept that for my family, for my, my mama, my daddy, whatever family we needed to come stay, they could be there. So my mama and my daddy were both there with me and my husband's mama. And when it got like really bad, like that Wednesday night, the contractions, my blood pressure kind of started going up and my daddy and my my husband both helped kind of like roll me to try to help get the the medication flowing so it would work, but it just wouldn't. I remember seeing my daddy kind of standing at the end of the bed and he told the nurse, he, uh, he gets that the look, you know, that your daddy gets when he's serious and his baby's in pain. And he said, it's time to do something like we've got, we can't. Because at that point, I think it was, I think in total, I labored like 27 or 28 hours. So I was, I, my body was exhausted. My body was give out. And then on top of it, I think the emotional part of it played into it too. Just of, I was so exhausted emotionally and I just, it was time to, you know, get Evie out. So the doctor on call came in. And she was absolutely amazing. Her and then my my main doctor was, they were both amazing. But this doctor, she, her name was Dr. Drager and she was absolutely wonderful. So we went in and she was talking to me and they were really trying to talk me into, you know, not doing a C-section, wanting me to do natural birth. And, but at that point it was like almost 30 hours in, I was so exhausted and she said, well, we can, we can give you something like some kind of anesthesia or something to like make me sleep until I guess I really, I had her naturally, but I, I just didn't want to hear any of that. I was ready to go to make it happen. So we decided to do the C-section and I told her, I said, I don't want to be awake. Like, I do not want to be conscious during the C-section. Like, I know she's already gone. I don't want to go through the torture of having to deliver her and not hear her cry so they put me to sleep and then um took me back 
And I remember waking up in recovery and just like shaking, trembling, like so cold. Then came back into the room and my family was all there. And they brought Evie for me to see. I asked to see her and they were so good about about that too. They brought her in and they had a beautiful gown on her and bonnet. And she was seven pounds and 14 ounces. So she was a a beautiful baby girl. And she looked so much like my husband. (laughs) Even Dr. Drager, before I came out of recovery, went and told my husband that she looked just like him. So I remember holding her for the first time and looking at her. And although I was so sad and lost, I just remember looking at her and thinking, look at this miracle that like my body created this. I carried her. I I brought this into the world. I brought her into the world. Although she's, you know, not with me, but I, I still looked at her like a miracle. Like I, I had pride and joy and love. And I was, I was happy in the way, or I don't know, that's, I guess, I don't know, that's not the right word to say. I was happy, but still sad. I guess you can have two emotions at once. It's really hard to wrap your mind around that. But I I felt a lot of pride and, and joy in knowing that I brought this little miracle into the world. And back when I had my miscarriage in 2016, my mother-in-law told me that her pastor that she listens to always said that in order for a soul to get to heaven, they have to come through earth. And she told me, she says, so Caitlin, you got that baby, that soul to heaven to be with God. So that has always stuck with me that I was chosen to carry her and to bring her to God. Like that is something that I feel like gives me purpose in the pain that I had to to go through or that I felt it was the purpose in the pain and that it wasn't for nothing or just for hurt. There was a reason behind it. It was to bring her little soul to God. Yeah. So after we got home, I know So usually with a C-section, you're supposed to stay in the hospital 48 hours and We had been there since Monday, and I was just so exhausted. You can't rest in a hospital. That Thursday afternoon, I begged my doctors to release me to let me go home. So we did go home that Thursday night. Lots of family and friends came to visit with us and support us. And then I remember that night late is when, like, all my milk came in. And that was, like, a whole nother a reminder of, you know, what I didn't have or what, what I lost. And I was in so much physical pain still because I feel like too, when you have a C-section, um, if it's scheduled and you don't have to go through labor, it's still a bad recovery or a hard recovery. But if you labor for a long time before a C-section, it's really rough on your body. So I almost could not stand up straight (laughs) and walk. It was really, my body was really wrecked. And then I think too, emotionally and mentally, when you're in that kind of place, it just makes it even harder. Yeah. But I had such good friends that showed up and with cabbage leaves for me to, you know, put in my bra. (laughs) (laughs) 
and helped me through, you know, those challenges. And we planned to have a graveside service for Evelyn that Saturday. And at that time, there was still a lot of like, the roads were still really bad, like you couldn't get to and from. I'm pretty sure the whole state of like North Carolina that I-95 was not working through the state. And that's like our major interstate that goes from like New York to Florida. (laughs) But we pulled up to the cemetery and there were so many people there that I was, I remember being just like stunned at the, the amount of people that were there. And that really made me look at like what love that, that this little girl had, you know, the people that loved her or the, that brought, she still brought all these people together in like from a place of love. And that really, really meant a lot to me that people showed up like that to honor her, even though she, you know, her, her time was minimal or she was born sleeping, but she still meant so much to so many people. And then after the funeral on that following Monday, that was probably like the hardest, one of the hardest days because the world kept turning. People went back to work and my husband, I love him, but he, if he grieves, he just puts his head down and plows ahead and works and buries his his head and his emotions in work so it was it was hard because he didn't know how to deal with his own emotions his own loss because he lost a child too and then I'm going through it too it was that was really hard to get through for us as a married couple but we stuck it out and we did it. We made it through. But I remember on that Monday, my mama came and my best friend came and we were sitting on the couch and I I think it was like three or four o'clock. And of course I was still in like what I slept in and just had been crying all day by myself with my, my dog. <laughs> and I remember telling my best friend, I just don't even know what I'm supposed to do now. Like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm doing or what I'm supposed to do. I had planned to take six months off of work. I have was working as a stylist then. So I had already, you know, told all my clients, I'm going to step out for six months. I want to be at home with her because we had struggled so long with fertility and trying to have a baby that I really wanted to be there with her. And in a way, I that was a blessing that I had chose to step out for six months because I did not feel that I was ready to face, you know, the people or the public. Because as a stylist, you see different people through the day, but I knew that that would be a conversation that I would have to have over and over and over every day. And I just couldn't handle it. The The rawness of my emotions after that happened for a long time, I would cry over anything. I just, any and everything would, would upset me. I was just so emotionally raw. 
I look back on it now and the saying really is true. I mean, time really does help heal. I'm Mm -hmm. definitely a lot stronger because of what I went through losing Evelyn, but time really does help move you forward and you can manage your emotions better. And then of course I have two boys now, so that really does help, you know, I have them to love and I know that she would want me to move forward and to be the best that I can be and love her brothers. So I really value and cherish motherhood through going through this. And one thing that I always will give credit to God because after we lost her and I was home, I really like was searching for answers of why, why did this happen or why me? And I was kind of like, when I was pregnant with her, I remember thinking, you know, I've already had a miscarriage, so I'm not going to lose, you know, everything will be fine this time around. You know, I felt like, you know, I'd already had a loss, so this won't happen again, or this won't happen to me. I've made it past this point and she's healthy. Everything's okay. But we found that there was a blood clot in her umbilical cord. We did lots of testing on me to see if I had clotting disorders or anything. Nothing came back. So I think it's like a one in 300 chance of that happening. So, I mean, there's no really rhyme or reason as to why this happened. But I really dug into my Bible, into my faith, and it really, really pulled me through. I won't say that it gave me like definitive answers, but it gave me enough to know that, you know, we are not supposed to know everything. We're on earth here for a reason. We're not in heaven. We're not in eternity. We don't know things, but we will know one day. And I learned to, I feel like that through that experience that sometimes, you know, things happen to us so that we can learn and we grow and we can take our experiences and turn around and help someone else up that is going to be going through the same thing or has gone through the same thing that needs someone to help pull them up and lift them up and know that they can move through it and live to see another day. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that because not everybody could sit up there and, and share their story like you did. And so I appreciate you doing that and sharing that so it gives light and hope to other people. Yeah, thank you. So through your journey, and I think you've kind of answered a little bit of this through your journey, what do you think you learned or got stronger from the most? I think from the most is patience. <laughs> I, um, I say a lot of times that I feel like my whole life has been a lesson in patience, <laughs> but learning to really be patient and content with what God has given me in like any given moment, I feel like has become more precious to me. Cherishing what I have, especially now that I have my two boys, that's really taught me a lesson in being patient and and seeing the good and the, the positive in what you have. And even from the negative things that happen to you, taking the lessons that you learned through those experiences 
to you know make yourself better and help others. Yeah. So what is something that has helped you grieve and process this journey that you would like to share with others that maybe have gone through something like this? I think really talking to other women that have gone through a loss like this has really helped me because a lot of people try to console you and they'll say, you know, they'll say things that, you know, they don't really mean mean it the way it comes out and it can really hurt you. But when it comes from someone that has been through the same type of circumstance, it really helps comfort you in, in a way that you know you're not alone that they have been through it and then that they they survived it and they got through it. It's all, it's a community, but it, it's not a community anybody wants to be in, but that community of other women, you know, reaching out and connecting and helping me through it. And then my faith, there's different um, devotionals that I found that really helped me work through some of the feelings I was having that really directly like related to those types of emotions and kind of helped me write out and journal. Journaling was a really big part of, you know, writing out my feelings and day to day of like how I felt if I was angry that day or, you know, dealing with all those emotions and just getting it out on paper. I did write a letter to Evie too. So that was a way of, you know, speaking to directly to her and kind of, you know, putting on my heart, you know, the, like a way of like closure or, you know, expressing my love to her. So those were all things that really helped me. Yeah. So do you have any advice that you would give to someone who has went through loss like this as well? You've you've given some really, really great pieces of advice already, but is there anything else that you would like to add? I think I want to say too, I know I had, I've had the miscarriage at six weeks and then I had the loss at 38 weeks. And a lot of times I feel like some women say, you know, oh, well, it was only eight weeks or six weeks or 12, you know, like that. And then it wasn't as bad as, you know, it wasn't that far along or, but don't downplay your pain or your loss. It's still a child, your child, your baby, and it's still a loss of your child. So don't minimize your feelings or your grief and let it, I mean, you've got to grieve. It's a grieving process. Don't minimize your your loss for other people. I feel like sometimes if you lose a baby early on, it's, slightly a little of a more gentle process in a way that other people don't know about it maybe it depends on you know how far along you were in my case I was 38 weeks and I was you know everybody knew if they saw me and so it was really hard in the aftermath of you know people asking or I remember I went to the grocery store and somebody asked you know did you have the baby and I had to you know explain no we lost the baby so in a miscarriage early on, I feel like you can bottle it up and keep it close in a way. It's a way you can protect yourself a little bit more, but at the same time, don't minimize your grief because 
oh, it was it was our early loss. It's still a loss. Just honor your yourself and your grieving process and really don't bottle it up because in the future it could hurt you. You really got to process through your grief is really what I would say. Yeah. Yeah, that is, I feel like, very, very great advice. Okay, so I do ask every podcast guest on my show this. So what is one piece of advice you wish you were given about motherhood? Oh, man, a whole book worth, I guess. <laughs> um, I would say it's okay to make mistakes. It's a part of learning. And be kind to yourself. And every day I would say you've got to celebrate the small wins, the small victories. Don't let your day go by without looking back or reflecting on it and, you know, capturing those little moments of joy. Because they was the saying, the days are, are long, but the years are short. Yeah. And it can be hard. It can be overwhelming. You want to pull your hair out and run away <laughs> in some <laughs> moment, but it is the best thing that you'll ever do. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do, but it's the best thing you'll ever do. So don't yes. let the overwhelm and the stress, you know, take over. Really reflect back and enjoy the little moments of joy in your day. I love that advice. So with that, thank you so much for being a guest today. I am truly, truly thankful for you uh, sharing this journey and kind of telling others about it. I think there's probably so many other women that can relate to this and you sharing that is something I'm very, very thankful for. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really honored that you asked me to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah. So closing out, can you just tell everyone where we can find you on social media, your podcast, anything like that? And I will definitely link in the show notes your podcast episode where you tell your story as well and and your full podcast where they can find you. But yeah, do you want to share that with everyone? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at Emerging Is Me. And you can find my podcast, Emerging Is Me, anywhere you listen to your podcasts. It should be out there. <laughs> that's pretty much, you know, that's it. That's where you can find me. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again. And I am so glad that this worked out. Thank you, Amanda, for having me. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you feel more equipped to take on your role of everyday life as a busy farm mom. I hope to continue the learning and conversation with you on Instagram. You can find me at 2383 Farms. And if you enjoyed this episode, take a screenshot to share to your stories, share it with another mom friend, or leave a review. This helps me reach more and more overwhelmed moms looking for quick, helpful tips. Thank you again. You're doing great, mama. See you next time.